All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And thank you, Pastor Blaylock and Pastor Blaylock, if he's watching. All right, I appreciate it. Uh, as far as the invitation, if some of you may have been here on a Wednesday night in February and we presented this seminary, and we just finished our first year uh, running the seminary, and God's blessed. And this time I'm going to remember Dr. Dalton. Maybe last time I was a little ashamed, you know what I mean? I don't know. But uh, Dr. Dalton has taught for us twice already in the seminary uh, and done a good job. The students are still scared of him. Uh, if you're wondering if you sat under him. But, but uh, he taught uh, a year ago uh, in September. Uh, we had him come in, and he taught, I think, 17 hours or 18 hours. Uh, one of the ways we teach is in modules, so we'll fly a professor in. And that way, those that are in ministry can uh, take just a, a block of time off and come in. So he came in and taught on the history and theology of the Baptist. And then in March, we had him come in and teach 12 hours, basically on the dangers of Reformed theology or on Calvinism, uh, trying to help guys understand that. Uh, we also teach alive, so I'm heading back. I travel a decent amount. I was telling Pastor Blaylock, this is my 23rd meeting this week, uh, this year. Not this week. That would be rough. All right, I'd be really tired. All right, but uh, 23rd meeting this year. So I travel a lot, uh, going around, trying to introduce it, uh, trying to get the seminary off the ground. But God is blessed. His provision is there always. Uh, I was in ministry as an assistant and then a pastor and then God really impressed this upon me. And um, I wish you'd impressed it upon somebody else. All right. <laughs> no, just, uh, it has been one of the hardest things I've ever done. But this is what I can tell you when God asks you to do something. He'll, he'll uh, equip you and he'll provide. And that's what he has done. It has been a step of faith. And my faith has been stretched at a, an unbelievable level because we serve an awesome God. We really do. We, we have a book table. So one of the things we do when we're traveling is we try to provide some materials that might be helpful. Some of them may be theological. So uh, some of the professors that teach for us, so Bob, Bob Dalton. And if you want to uh, try to get Dr. Dalton, we're trying to get him to give me a bigger discount when I sell his books. But if you just want to mention that to him over the next uh, year, like every week, just every week, just mention it to him. But I sell uh, his books. Uh, he has two books uh, that we sell as we travel. And then there's a man named Tom Brennan that teaches for us. And he writes, uh, he's uh, very involved in the internet uh, as far as blogging and things like that. So he has a book, if you're interested in sanctification, uh, one of the best books I've ever read in the subject of sanctification and holiness, uh, which is something that's very misunderstood and so he has a book, and then I've written some books. We also have some sermon series, uh, The Pastor I'm Under. Uh, so we're in Dover, Delaware. All right, don't hold that against me. All right, so I grew up in the Midwest, and I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and then went to Indiana and worked there for over 30 years. And so um, moved to the East Coast in Delaware, and if you're, at, if you're wondering, I still don't like it. Okay, so that's why I travel a lot, <laughs> all right, um, then I don't have to be there. But I am getting used to communism and things like that, so, um, but we do, our pastor, Pastor T.H. Moore, uh, has a couple of sermon series, The Dangers of Calvinism, he has one on why we use the King James Version, is the right and wrong music, so there's a number of things 
uh, that we have back there, a book that I wrote. I actually wrote it for my boys many years ago, and then uh, last year I took a long time, about four months, to redo it. And this is my counter to Joel Osteen. Uh, every day for him is a Friday, so I wrote a book, Every Day is a Tough Day. <laughs> because uh, sometimes they think every day is a Monday, uh, but every day is a tough day, and I wrote it for my boys to help them uh, because sometimes I worked with teenagers for 20 years, and there would be teenagers coming and saying, man, when is it going to get easier? And I said, well, I don't want to depress you. It gets worse. <laughs> um, until we get to heaven, we fight our flesh, and that's sometimes hard. So I wrote five chapters on how to turn a tough day into a victorious day, and so... Um, Hopefully, uh, some of those things can be a help to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 16 and verse 17. Verse 16 and 17. Probably know the verse, and it says in verse 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Surveys show in America that an alarming percentage of adults, but especially young people and churches, are biblically illiterate. They've gone through Sunday schools, they've been uh, maybe handed Bibles, or they were given Bibles at uh, birthdays or Christmas, different things. But it's amazing, many years ago, they did a survey of young people that have grown up in what you would call Christian churches. So that would be pretty broad. Uh, I would think that they would include um, even Catholic in that survey, for sure Lutheran, Methodist, all that. So it, but, they, but they did a survey. And this was what is amazing. More than a third of the young people that were surveyed did not know that Jesus spent his early boyhood in Nazareth. About a quarter were unable to identify Calvary as the place where Christ was crucified. Think about that. These are not, this is not the world. These are people that said they grew up in church. And you just take our auditorium, a quarter would mean one whole section would just say, well, I don't know what Calvary is. You don't know what Calvary is? 75% couldn't identify who Simon Peter was. Half had no idea what Gethsemane was. So here we have people growing up in church and they don't know the Bible. And the Bible this evening, I just want to take a few minutes because it's what really the seminary is about. A seminary, and it's just so you know, a seminary is not a Bible college. It's, you know, basically graduate studies uh, that we develop. But what are we about? We're about the Bible. That's what it is. And uh, of all people, it should be that folks that go to church know the Bible. But think of our society today. There's so many that claim to go to church. If you're talking to somebody about salvation, you're knocking on doors, and they're like, oh, no, no, I got it, I got it, I go to church. And so I've tried to somehow wiggle, wiggle around to uh, get a question in there. Hey, so I, I understand. I'm not trying to steal you from church, but I just want to talk to you about God. Can I, can I share with you about, you know, how you're going to get to, how do you know you're going to get to heaven? You know what's amazing is the weird answers you get. 
just a couple of weeks ago before we came down here, the pastor had given us a visit and he said, hey, before, uh, he didn't say before you go, but could you do this visit? So we had some time and so we ran over on a Wednesday to this house and a we could tell in our area, we have a lot of, in the Delaware area, we have a lot of Haitians. I know you have a lot of Haitians and, and down in South, uh, South Florida, but we have a lot up there. And so I, we could tell uh, by her accent that she was Haitian. And um, uh, we, we came in and she said, oh, well, it wasn't me that came to church because we were doing a follow-up visit. But it was, uh, it was this lady and she's my roommate and she was Haitian also. And she said, well, I grew up Catholic. And I said, well... You know, could we just could we just talk about the Lord and share with you how how we believe you get to heaven? And I couldn't believe it. she's like, sure. So we sat there and right away we could tell she didn't agree with it. You see, there's all kinds of different ideas of how to get to heaven, but the Bible is for us as Bible believers, it is our sole authority in faith and practice. But what is God's book? This evening, I want to take a couple of thoughts from 2 Timothy 3.16, a verse that is very familiar, but I want you to uh, have three ideas when you leave. First of all, the Bible is a preserved book. Secondly, the Bible is a profitable book. And thirdly, the Bible is a powerful book. And it all comes from our text here in 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless as we Look at it this evening. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless, give us wisdom, guidance. I pray that as we come to this time where we open the word of God, the word of God would do that, that part, Lord. It would speak to hearts, and the Holy Spirit would do that which I can't do, and that is speak to hearts. We ask and claim your power, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, the Bible is a preserved book we get all scripture is given by inspiration of god so i know it's sunday evening you've already had sunday school sunday morning you've done your afternoon nap and you're thinking all right come to church and if i get too much into seminary mode it's going to be like nap three all right i understand that but just hang on what i want to do is show you what basically bible believing churches what do we believe as far as inspiration? So there's some false theories. I'm only going to give you two. But some people say that the Bible is humanly inspired. So if, if you're talking to somebody, they'll say, oh, yeah, the Bible's inspired, but they mean humanly inspired. When we from the pulpit or in your constitution say that the Bible is inspired, that's not what we mean. We don't mean human inspiration. Now, is there human inspiration? Yes. And what do we mean by that? Poets. All right, I have, I can't remember one of my books. I've always loved poetry, and I prayed and prayed, and I was like, God, you've got to give me a poem. And it's not really good, but God gave me a poem. All right, for you. It was called A Youth That God Built. All right, it's not really great. Um, you know, even when I die, people are like, finally, we can burn it. All right, but it's, um, it's not really that great. But there are people that I read as far as poetry, I'm like, wow, that is inspired. Even songs that we sing. You think of uh, down through the years, just in this last year, uh, Ron Hamilton passes away. All right, now I can tell you, if I wrote a song, you'd be like, please, no, 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 
no, don't sing that. Don't play it. Don't sing it. I can tell you have no inspiration when it comes to writing music. But some people, they just write Fanny Crosby and some of these other Philip Bliss. And you, you say, man, God just blessed them. But that's not what we're saying. We don't believe that the Bible was humanly inspired. The other way that some people interpret inspiration of Scripture is that it's partially inspired. So what do we mean by that? Well, this is what they say. Uh, this view believes God provided the enabling needed for the transmission of truth, which the writers of Scripture were commissioned to deliver. This made them infallible in matters of faith and practice, but not in areas of non-religious character. Parts of the Bible are inspired, primarily those related to faith and practice. Now, I don't even know what that means. Like, so some of it is inspired and some of it isn't. So who gets to decide that? Exactly. So we read in the scripture reading, 2 Peter chapter 1. And that passage knocks the idea of partial inspiration out. Because partial inspiration, in some sense, sends us back to the dark ages. You know why? Because only certain people really know what is in Scripture. And they're, they're like these elitists that somehow have this special inroad with God. And he's like, hey, yeah, that part. Yeah, that part. Nope, not that one. Right? So who gets to know? Only these special people? What did 2 Peter chapter 1 say? The Bible is not of any private interpretation. All of the scripture is there for you and I to partake of, and the Holy Spirit can guide us into how much truth? Some? All of it. That's why it's very important that we're in the word of God. So what do we believe as far as inspiration? So we don't believe it's humanly inspired. We don't believe it's partially inspired. So tomorrow when you go to work, here you go. You're going to say, so, you went to church last night. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, so why did you do it? Well, I wanted to learn. That's what you can tell them. You're like, what did you learn? You're like, well, I learned about inspiration. And that'll catch them off guard. And what our church believes. So here you go. You ready? Because you've never known this before. You believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. Now, you're probably like me, all right? Many years ago, when I was a young person, someone come up and say, hey, so what does your church believe? The plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. Like, what does it mean? Well, plenary and verbal. They're like, well, what is that? Well, it's verbal and it's plenary. And that's what we believe. I couldn't explain it. So plenary means all. Verbal means the words. So you know what we believe? All the words in the Bible, God meant them to be there. So now tomorrow when they ask, you're like, well, we learned the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. And now you can actually tell them. All right? You can actually tell them what that means. So we believe all the words that God wants us to have are in the Bible. He didn't, he didn't subtract some. He didn't add some. They're all there in Scripture. So the second thing, as far as the Bible is a preserved book, is simply that. It's preserved. 
And this is where a lot of times in bibliology, so in the study of the Bible, that is called bibliology. So there are people that believe that the, the word of God is inspired, but what they have a problem with is the preservation. That's what I believe. So especially with, with the other versions of the Bible, all right? Uh, the other versions of the Bible, if you study it, uh, there are basically two, to simplify it, there's two families that the Bible came from. And what the, basically the wrong versions say is that God basically forgot for centuries. And then all of a sudden he must have been in heaven and it's like, oh, stink. Promised them that I'd preserve it. Oh my word. I better get some guys to get down there and get it. What kind of God is that? That would give us the Bible and not preserve it. And you say, so well, can we see every some of it is what do we live by? Faith. And by faith, I can tell you, when somebody picks up the word of God, it's his word. Because he promised to preserve it. And that's what he did. Through scripture, he says, The truth of the Lord endureth forever. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every word of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. My favorite is Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, who? O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God says, it's on me. He's like, hey, dudes, I made you, and you were idiots. All right? At the beginning, you couldn't even stop eating the one tree. All right? You don't get, you know, I, I give you one thing not to do, and you do it. All right? So I'm glad that God, when he gave us the word of God, didn't say, hey, it's up to man. What did he say? I got it. Now, if it was up to me, I'd probably lose it. Maybe some out here. You lose your keys. Um, you lose your car. I don't even know how you lose your car, but you've lost your car. All right? You lose your clothes. Some of you, you've lost your mind. At least your mate thinks so. All right? There's, there's a, whole, a whole bunch of things that you've lost. God, what has he ever lost? No, he's keeping it for us. See, so the Bible, the first thing we saw is in our text. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the first thing we said is the Bible is a preserved book. Notice secondly in our text, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable. So that word profitable means it's good for something. All right, for instance, I worked with teenagers um, for, for decades all right, and, and basically, most parents find that their teenagers are unprofitable. All right, they're unprofitable servants. All right, we don't know what they're good for, but at some point they become profitable. All right, so the Bible is saying that the word of 
God is what? Profitable. It's good. And then it lists out the things that it's good for. What is it good for? It's profitable for doctrine. All right, so I'm in the seminary world. You know what doctrine simply is? Teaching. Teaching. And teaching is something that a church and you, you have to understand that the, the Bible is good for that. I want to be a part of the church that comes in. I, I really enjoyed Pastor Blaylock last February. I was able to come in and uh, just spend a Wednesday and he let me, uh, I was passing through, Dr. Dalton said, oh, you got to meet my pastor, and so we were traveling through, and in February, we were able to sit here, and he preached, and I think he preached out of the book of Proverbs, I think he was doing some series. You know what I love when a pastor gets up and he just preaches the Bible? It's just teaching. And you know, sometimes you come to church, and you know, some people go out, and you're like, you know, I, I don't know, it's just a little boring today. Well, have you ever been to school and it was boring? Like every day, right? Every day. Like, you know what? I, I don't know how you make English exciting, except making fun of the teacher, which is fun, all right? But how do you make English exciting? How do you make algebra exciting? Now, chemistry can be because you can blow up the class. But there are some things you come to church and you're being taught and that teaching can't always be like, oh man, I, I just, it's jumping up and down. I'm sorry, it's not always that way. And somehow we've gotten this idea that study has to be always fun. It's not always fun. Sometimes, you know what I've found? Study is hard work. It's taxing sometimes. Sometimes it, it wears you out. But this is what I can tell you. Every minute that I have spent studying God's word has been profitable. But there have been some things that I've spent time studying, you might say, and it's not profitable. See, the Bible is profitable, and it says it's for doctrine, it's for reproof, for correction. So one of the things I like doing is uh, when you study the Bible is an etymology. And etymology is basically a word study where you go back and you find out where the word originated, how it, how it was there, and sometimes you can find the history of that word. They say built into the word correction, they have some medical terms behind it. And during the time that uh, Paul was writing this, and this... Sometimes, you know, it, it can be a little bit of conjecture, but it's historical. But they say that the, the doctors would go and uh, you would go to a doctor because you had a broken bone. And the broken bone, you'd bring that, you, you'd come into the doctor and the doctor would correct it. He would set it straight. Now think about the word of God. The Bible it's being said, it's being told to us that the Bible can help me set straight those things that are broken. Now, how many times does that, that can happen in our lives? Have you, ever had, have you ever had some dumb idea or some dumb theology or some dumb philosophy? All right? You know, it could be, you know, the wife 
husband, you know, probably the majority of the time the wife, you know what I mean? But all right, you're, you're there and you're, you're like, hey, you know, I really think this about the Bible. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, you know what? I was reading this fast. Like, no, that's not in the Bible. And you go to the Bible and you study it some, and guess what happens? It sets you straight. That's what the Bible can do. It's profitable. God's word is profitable for the teaching. The teaching, the correcting, the reproof, the instruction in righteousness. It helps me know how to live. But then notice the last thing. You'd say, where do you find the word powerful? So all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So where is the word powerful? I find it in the word inspiration. All right, so God's word is a preserved book. It's a profitable book. It's powerful. So how is it found in that text? So the word inspired just literally means God. Most of you, you're a Sunday night crowd, so you're, you've taken time. You've already been to church a bunch, and you came back. All right, you're glutton for punishment. All right. So can you think of when God breathed the first time? We know it. It hit you, didn't it? Remember the, the planets he spoke, and the stars, and the, the plants, the world? He spoke all those things, but in Genesis it says that he didn't want to do that with man. It says that he formed man out of the dust of the ground, and then what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and what happened to man? Became a living soul. Guess what happened to God's book? You know why it's powerful? Because all other books are humanly inspired. All other books are humanly inspired. They're just, they're just a book. It's just paper. But God breathed into this book. And you know what happened when he breathed into it? It's alive. That's why Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is what? Quick. That means it's alive. And then the word is there. And it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. See, God's word is not just like any other book. That's why people hate this book. For not just decades, but for centuries, what have people tried to do? Keep the word of God out of people's hands. That's why you can go to foreign countries right now. And there's certain foreign countries, I was just reading about it and uh, just in the past month or so, I couldn't believe the, the, the dozens of countries that basically still, it's illegal to have a Bible. You know why that's true? I mean, why aren't they like, and also, we don't want the Bible, and I really don't like Shakespeare. Like, get him out of here! Like, uh, Shakespeare? Why is it always the Bible? You know why? It's alive. It changes people. 
It can change somebody that is addicted and down and out, and they come to Jesus, and guess what happens to them? They're alive. We are down here um, doing a what I call an introductory module, so sometimes uh, as, a, as a seminary, one of the ways that we can help uh, get the word out is uh, coming to a church, and, and I'll teach. So this past Tuesday and Wednesday, I taught... Tuesday night for three hours and Wednesday morning for three hours to about 13 men. And last week I, I was prepping, so I was at the church, and uh, one of the younger men took me out to lunch, he and his family, and we, got, we were sitting there at, at lunch, and I got talking to him, and I love hearing testimonies. I said, so what brought you to the Lord? Because he was telling me that, oh, I'm out of work right now, and so my dad has hired me. And I said, what does your dad do? He says, oh, he runs a gym. I said, what do you mean by a gym? He goes, oh, well, he runs a boxing gym. He was the 1994 featherweight champion of the world. I said, what? I said, for real? I said, i got to meet him. I said, let's fight. No, huh? but, uh, but it, was, it was just, uh, I, I was like, I've I got to meet this guy. Well, then he started telling me. He said, well, he said, my life was pretty bad. I said, what do you mean? He said, I was on drugs and this and this. And he went down the line. I said, wow. I said, if I'd have known that, I wouldn't have had lunch with you today. <laughs> I said, you're a bad guy. Did you know what happened? He got saved. He was sitting there at the, at the table, and he, he didn't tear up, but I could almost tell. It was very emotional. He says, and look at this. He said, I've got a wife. And he had uh, two precious children. He says, look what God's done. And I looked at him. His, his name was Scott. And I said, Scott, what you have to do is you have to make sure to never forget and tell people about it. I said, they'll look at you now and you're all coming to church and you're even coming to learn more about God, but don't ever forget the power of the word of God and how it changes people. That's what the word of God can do. See, it's a powerful book. Do you notice there it says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says the word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. They say again in the etymology of that idea of two-edged sword, it has the idea of a two-mouth sword, and they say during the time of the Roman soldiers, a soldier that could wield his sword so well, they said that anything in the path of the sword was devoured. It was like the sword had two mouths. Nothing could stand in its way. That's our Bible. That's the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God. You know, the Word of God, if you're ever wanting to do a study on the Word of God, I challenge you to read Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is all about the Bible. It's all about the power of the Bible, what the Bible can do in our lives and in our hearts. And here in our text, the Bible is instructing us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness. Now notice verse 17 as we close it. 
that the man of God may be what? Perfect. The idea is complete. So how come it is that so many of us as Christians, we limp through our Christian life, we don't really, well, we, just, we just seem to be in sin and sin and sin and sin. We don't really have a zeal for the things of God. How come that's true? I believe it's because of verse 16. Because the word of God, properly used in the life of a believer, will make you complete. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible is enough for us. It is, and it should be, our sole authority in faith and practice. So why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we in the Word of God? Why aren't we, why aren't we studying the Word of God more? You know, the Word of God makes a big difference in lives. Many years ago, they made a movie out of this. But it's the story of the power of the Bible. There was an English ship called the Bounty. It was commanded by Lieutenant William Bly. He journeyed to the South Pacific in 1787 to collect plants. Sailors signed on gladly, considering the voyage a trip to paradise. He had no second in command, so Captain Bly appointed his young friend, Fletcher Christian, to the post. The bounties stayed in Tahiti for six months, and the sailors, led by happy-go-lucky Fletcher Christian, enjoyed paradise to the full. When time came for the departure, some of the men wanted to stay because now they had met some island girls, and they'd also uh, started to love just the, the life there in paradise. Three men tried to desert, and they were flogged. The mood on the ship darkened, and on April 28, 1789, Fletcher Christian staged the mutiny on the bounty. Bly and his supporters were set adrift in an overloaded lifeboat. You can read about it. Actually, they made it 3,700 miles to another place which is an amazing story in itself. The mutineers aboard the bounty immediately began quarreling, and Christian said, no, we're going to return back to Tahiti. He left some of the mutineers there, and they traveled with the remaining crew a 1,000 miles to a place called Pitcairn Island. And there, the little group unraveled, drinking the, the horrible, you know, the worst sins you can imagine, that was going on at Pitcairn Island. It unraveled so much. Drunkenness, fighting, disease, murder. Eventually, everybody but one man named Alexander Smith was the only man left. All the other men either died of disease or were killed. And one man left. Man, that sounds like a place you want to be. Then an amazing change occurred. Alexander Smith found the Bounty's Bible. He found the Bible. He read it. 
He took messages to heart, and then he began instructing that little community. He taught the colonists there the scriptures, helped them to obey its instructions. The message of Christ so transformed their lives that 20 years later, when a ship came by, guess what they saw? They saw a happy society of Christians living in prosperity and peace. What was the difference? The Bible. It's an amazing book. So I ask you then, as we close, then why aren't we in it more? Why aren't we in it more? I'm so glad when I was in 10th grade, my 7th grade year, 8th grade year, ninth grade year, they were not good years. I started deciding to do my own thing. But I had a study hall. And I had a teacher. It was a science teacher. And that science teacher started me on a path in 10th grade. He gave me my first concordance. He started talking Bible with me. He started pushing me towards studying the Bible more. And it just seemed like the Bible was opening up for me. And I realized that this book was not just for my pastor. And it wasn't just for this guy or the teacher or the adults around me. That God wrote it for me. And that he wanted to speak to me. And I've never gotten over it. This book is an amazing So don't neglect it. But then also share it with others. It's why the devil gets us so sidetracked because he wants us to not be thinking about sharing the word of God. He wants us to do anything else. Give him your thoughts. Tweet your opinions. All right? Share on social media your really profound statements. But guess what happens? You put the word of God up. Ah! I knew you were one of them. Yep. Wear it proudly. Because you know what? This book changes lives. It makes better people out of us. Because it's a preserved book. It's a profitable book. And it's a powerful book. Heads bowed, eyes closed this evening. In just a moment, Pastor Blaylock will come and we'll have a time of invitation. But I'd like to pray for you as we close. It could be that there's somebody here tonight. One of the things that the Bible is able to do is it can teach you the way to heaven. And if you're here this evening and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we'd love to share with you from the Word of God how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Is there anybody here tonight? Won't embarrass you. I'd just like to pray for you. You'd say, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? You'd slip up your hand and just say, Would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? I'd just like to pray for you. What about this evening as a Christian? Do you value and treasure the Word of God? Is it something that you're in daily, that you're studying and sharing with others? You'd say this evening, you know what? While you're speaking, God convicted me. 
about some aspect of my life and the Word of God, would you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand? All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. All over the auditorium. Appreciate that. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the invitation time. We thank you for the Word of God, the amazing book you've given us. Help us to treasure it. And Lord, we'll thank you again that you promised to preserve it for us. In Jesus' name, amen.